Lord, we thank you for this time we've had in singing and in prayer time and also in the hearing of your word. We pray that it would speak to our hearts. Um, it's getting uh, more and more obvious when we study your word, the difference between your culture and the culture we live in. <clears throat> and so many of the things that we read in your word can sometimes sound foreign to us as we become accustomed to the world we live in. But this isn't what you made it to be. You're trying to correct it and form it and conform it. And as we're here tonight to be conformed into your image, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to um, understand your heart for us, your love for us, your desire for us to have the best and um, to be like your son Jesus is the best. And so we, we surrender tonight our, our lives, our hearts, our minds, and we're open to everything you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Timothy's been left in Ephesus to set up leadership and kind of get the church organized. The leadership that's in Ephesus at this time is, well, they're legalists, but they're also worldly. Um, For most of the Gentile world, when the gospel of Jesus Christ came to them, Many of them didn't know Judaism to start with, obviously, and so this was all new to them to have one God. But everything they'd grown up with for, I mean, generations was for them being turned on its head. Actually, it was being turned right side up. But for them, it felt, I mean, it's it pretty turbulent for them to get things straight, to, to learn. We, uh, we got some special lessons for Mariah and Bo for swimming. And, and they're, they're pretty young. I mean, they're 11 and 14 years old. I, I think we're doing pretty good here. They've been swimming for three years. And the coach this morning said, well, now how long have they been swimming? I said, well, for three years. That's why we got them some coaching now so they didn't develop any, any bad habits. He goes, oh, it's too late for that. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> They've already got the bad habits. We're just going to have to drill it into them to see if we can unlearn, you know. Of course, I was their swim coach up until this guy showed up, so I, I took it a little personally. <laughs> great guy. Great, great young man. All kidding aside, though, these folks have had generations of skewed, um, messed up, I'm trying to find the right words for this. Understanding of what a marriage looks like. Understanding of what it means to be a man. What it means to be a woman. What it means to be a human being. What children are supposed to do. What parents are supposed to do. What employees are supposed to do. What employers are supposed to do. Everything. Everything. Satan had messed up everything. And so the great task of undoing, unlearning these bad habits, these cultural norms seem to go against, I mean, you know, cutting across the grain, difficult to absorb all at once. It would take a lot of time, you know. And Paul understood that, and he takes the time, though. It's a tough task, but he takes the time to write letter after letter after letter, not giving up hope, not taking off the pressure, not just leaving the battle over to Satan and saying, well, at least we got them saved. At least when they die, they'll be okay. He wanted them to have that life that God intended for them to have now. Not just have to wait till you die to have everything straightened out. 
Paul took on the tough job, left Timothy with the rest of the tough job. Now finish up the task, straighten out the teachers. Don't let them teach any false doctrine anymore. Only teach what we taught. Everything else is a, is a, is a skewed view of the gospel. And then he goes on. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in the church. Organized religion has always been a part of God's plan. It just is. I know that's not the norm today. Everybody is frustrated with it, is tired of it, maybe. They don't like what they see when they enter a door of a certain building. Those are just a group of people that are like the Ephesians, just trying to straighten out the weird cultural values that they brought in the door. And for some, it gets they get this worked on, and for others, this gets worked on, and everybody's in a different place. So you walk in expecting perfection because that's what you're looking for, and you ain't going to find it. And so they write off organized religion. I don't want to have nothing to do with those people. Well, you're one of those people. We're all one of those people. It doesn't excuse us, but... This is the opportunity for grace and mercy. One of the first things you have to learn as a believer. It doesn't necessarily take away the, the coarse language that you have or some of your habits that you've taken on or the sins that are deeply embedded in your life. The first thing you learn is grace and mercy because it's the first thing he gave you, forgiveness. Then we begin the process to straighten things out. Likewise, we're called to give that to other people first grace and mercy and forgiveness and then we'll work on a better relationship with one another you know so some of the things tonight obviously are not popular teachings they're going to be difficult to absorb if you've if you've never read this book before if you've never encountered these things before it's going to be counterculture for you so i'm trying to start off with an understanding that these things are written for love from love for you. And um, it's not an attack. It's not demeaning. It's meant to build up. It's meant to take burdens off. It's meant to set things in order and have everybody do what God's called them to do and no more because the world has placed upon our shoulders every burden. And God says, no, my burden's light. My, my, my yoke is easy. I've got some things I call you to do. Some things I don't call you to do. Those are for other people to do. I love my phone. I do. I use it for everything. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Jenny will be sitting in the kitchen with it on, and she'll be doing dishes, talking to Evangeline down in Oklahoma. I mean, we don't have flying cars, but we've got video phones. How cool is that? And really good quality. But with this portal that I have, I see and have access to every evil in the world. Not to partake in, but to witness, to to see stories about. You take on the burdens of the world, which honestly, we're never able to, to, no wonder we're depressed. No wonder we feel overwhelmed and like, I I don't know that there's any hope. I feel like it's a drop in the ocean in your heart. You know, it's like, what am I going to add to this worldwide problem? We were only supposed to be concerned with our sphere of influence. People within our eyesight that day. And that helps us. I can deal with with her or with him or with my kids or my wife or the employee at uh, Hy-Vee or Walmart or wherever. Or, or, or where, I can deal with those people one-on-one, and I don't get too much if I just deal with the things of the day. 
We take on the burdens of the world to the point where it paralyzes us. I'm not helping anybody, you know. God wants to relieve us of all these burdens that society is placing on us and, and try to straighten things out. And so I think we'll get some of that tonight. So there we go. That was a long introduction. Verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore, because of what I've just told you about Hymenaeus and Alexander, not continuing in the Lord, not continuing in the gospel, but running off and because of that, I, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable life, a, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I want you to pray for everybody. Now, I have a hard time praying for certain leaders in our world. I don't like them. I'm angry with them. I disagree with them. That does not relieve me of the responsibility to pray for their souls, to pray for God to have access into their lives and to change their lives from the inside out, to be more godly, to be more devoted to Jesus if they're not already, to understand the scriptures, to lead a godly leading we're all called to that. I don't care who they are. It doesn't matter who I'm called to pray for them. Because God's heart is for them to be saved. So I want them saved. And I don't know who's saved or not. I suspect strongly who's not saved. But that's only because of the fruit I see in their life. But I do not know their heart. Only God knows their heart. So I will pray. I also pray for them. I, I can't imagine the pressures they have on them. I think about some of the guys I do like and some of the gals I do like that are in leadership, surrounded by sin, like a cesspool. Surrounded by the opportunity for compromise, the opportunity for corruption. How anybody survives that, I have no idea. Difficult, to say the least. So I pray for all men. We're called to pray for all men because God wants them saved. Now, he says that we may lead a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That is our goal. That is what we're called to do. And here's where we make our distinction, I think, and helps us. It's like, well, if they're an, if they're an authority, what do I do? I, I'm referring to Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Paul, the same writer, writing to the Romans let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. 
That's pretty clear. Now, as I read that, I'm thinking back of the birth of our country. Hmm. <laughs> Did our little guys, our little farmers with pitchforks and muskets, who got tired of a tax, the T, now it wasn't just a tax of the T. Uh, we simplify that a little bit, but did they go beyond God's word? Did they, did they not understand Romans? You know, should this never have happened? Should freedom not exist in our country? Should we not be the beacon of freedom in the world? You know, was it a big thing like we're being, well, no. I think it was very much justified, very much called for. And I think we're called to the same thing, not for a revolution necessarily, but I want to give you some examples of people in Scripture to help us understand when we put these Scriptures together, this chapter 2 in 1 Timothy or this uh, section in, in Romans, Daniel is our example for one. Daniel was in Babylon. He was one of the higher guys in the ranking. He was a Jewish guy who had been taken captive from Israel, brought in because he's so bright, so smart. He rapidly went up the chain of command in Babylon, very close to Nebuchadnezzar. One of his soothsayers, one of the guys that could interpret dreams. They had a lot of them, but Daniel was one of them. Now, some of the guys were jealous of Daniel. Some of the guys that weren't Jewish were jealous of Daniel. Daniel could care less about anybody. He just did what God told him to do, and it served him well. They said, how do we get rid of this Daniel? Well, they whispered in Nebuchadnezzar's ear, I want you to, I think, king, if, I mean, you're, you're, you're like God. You are God. Make a golden image for yourself. Set it up in the plains. And that way, when we blow the trumpets, everybody that uh, is truly uh, on your side will bow down and worship this golden image. And they'll worship you. Nebuchadnezzar's not exactly the most godly guy in the world. He tried. But sure, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, who wouldn't want to be bowed down to? What a great test. So he builds it. Well, it turns out, Later on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not do this. They would not bow down. And he's furious, and they found out about it. And they throw them in the furnace, and so on. So we see an example of rebellion there, uh, an example in, in Daniel 3 of, of a group of guys that, although the government said we should do this, their obligation was to their God first. Now, they didn't take up arms and, and, and knock down the, the golden idol. They didn't do anything like that. They just said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. Our, our God won't let us do that. So do, it, do with us what you will, but we're not going to do that. We're going to refuse. So they got thrown into the fiery furnace. And, of course, they survived it without any smoke, no smell of smoke. And when they came out, of course, the, the, the story, I'm, you know, the, it's a long story. The, the fourth, there was a fourth person in there, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a fourth guy. They said, who is that? It wasn't like the son of, son of man. It looked like Jesus was in there with them, of course, we believe, protecting them. Well, they came out and, oh, my goodness, these guys are great. We should all worship their God. I mean, they just, they're just kind of like that. Whoever was strongest won. It, was, it wasn't that they loved God. They just thought he was the biggest and strongest, so they did. Now, later on, Daniel, they didn't like Daniel. I'm jumping around a little bit here, sorry. 
And so they wanted to get Daniel in trouble, and they knew that he prayed, and they said, nobody should pray except to you, and, and so on. And well, they found out that Daniel heard it. This is what he says in Daniel 6, 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. I'm still going to do what God calls me to do. I'm still going to worship my God. I know it's written according to the law, that I can't do that anymore, but I'm going to do that. And he did, and he got caught, and the king threw him in the lion's den, and God protected him in the lion's den also. So we've got Daniel, you've got Shadrach, you've got Meshach, you've got Abednego. In Acts, those are Old Testament guys. Let's do some New Testament guys that defied the government. Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Not only did they say, no, we are going to speak the name of Jesus, he also shared the gospel with the guy at the time. He doubled down on it. I don't want you to talk about the gospel. I don't talk about this Jesus. You mean the Jesus who died on the cross for your sins? He just does it. That's the kind of rebellion I'm going to have. I will push back. I will worship Jesus. I will love him. See, and it's not because I'm just counterculture. It's because I know what Christ has done for me. He died on the cross for my sins to do anything else but worship him, to love him, to defend him, to proclaim him is to diminish him. I've been in the working world for three decades now. I've been around the guys that talk about their wives when they're not around. Oh, you wouldn't believe with the battle axe. Oh, you wouldn't believe that she, oh boy, she was boo-hooing and she... Never. Never would I say that about my wife. Now, you want me to do that about my Jesus? No. No, you're going to get a fight. A loving fight, a gracious, merciful fight, but I will not diminish the love of my life for anybody. That's up to you to decide what to do with that. Throw me in a furnace, put me in a lion's den, threaten to crucify me like you crucified him, whatever. He told me to expect that and to carry my cross wherever I go. So here's the nails and here's the wood but I'm not going to diminish my witness. Joshua. Joshua is an interesting story. He sends in two spies into the promised land to see if they can take it out because he learned from Moses not to send in 12. That didn't work so well. So Joshua sends in two. And here's the story, Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot, a prostitute, named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the city. we got spies in the camp. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Turn them over. 
Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. I'm going to go through a whole series of things. Now, now this woman flat out lies, you know. And of course, my, my kids pick up on this when I teach this story. I say, isn't that great? She loved the Lord. She knew who was in charge. She was able to push back against them. And they're all like, yeah, but she lied. You know? Can we lie? Never. Unless you're a harlot hiding men on top of the roof with flax. Then you can go ahead and lie if you want to. I don't know. I do know this, that Rahab is in Jesus' lineage. This prostitute that's not even Israeli is one of, one of his grandmothers. I think that's sweet. I think it's beautiful. And I wonder how many times that story came up. You know, you remember when grandma lied? You know, great, 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 great. I mean, you know, back a ways. But you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Good thing she did. It worked out well. She was defiant. Because she knew the Lord. She loved the Lord. I don't know what God's going to have in store for us for the next 10 years or so, but I think it's going to get interesting. I don't think he's calling us to take up arms necessarily. But I do think he wants us to stand up strong and tall and bold with love for him, for his kingdom, for the truth, for the sake of those looking for hope and love and forgiveness, grace and mercy, who desire to be saved, who recognize the world that we're living in is crumbling and society is falling and turning into a what's inescapable now, where it's headed. And those who recognize it are trying to find a way out, and, well, we have the answer. Jesus has the answer. The gospel is the answer. So, we desire all men everywhere to be saved. Everybody. I think we need to be prepared for that too. And I've said this probably three different times in three different teachings in three different settings now. But the world right now is they're lost and confused about who they are and they're searching and looking for who they must be in this world. And the world is glad to give them a definition of who they should be. Eventually they're going to come to the end of that advice, which is a dead end. And they're going to be more miserable than they ever have been before, just like the Jesus movement. And they're going to look for a real answer, a real hope. In the 60s and 70s, they look for drug and sex and the same stuff in it, and the same attack on the same youth. And when they came to the end of that, a wave of salvation, a harvest came. I hope we're ready for that. We need to be ready for that. Pray, pray, pray. Be ready to give a reason for the hope which lies within you. There's an answer and you have it. Share it. Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There's a time to preach. There's a time to get people saved and to give out the gospel. There's also a time to teach, though. Can't just preach all the time. Can't keep getting people saved over and over. We're saved already. We accepted Christ. Now we've got to learn how to live, which is what these letters are all about, which is what Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Corinthians. That's what all these letters are about. You're all saved. Such were some of you. Now let's learn to live. This is what it looks like. Now the conforming starts, the change, the transition from unsaved person to saved person, transition from you to Jesus. That's the transition that needs to take place. And that comes through the teaching of his word. So Paul says, I was a preacher and I'm an apostle. And I set up churches and places of worship where they can get taught the word of God and people can grow and be grounded in the truth, be able to stand against uh, the wiles of the devil, be able to stand against the, the winds of this life and the waves of this life, to be able to be strong in the faith. That comes from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I did both, he says. Verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, we're going to go through and have the women line up and we're going to judge you tonight. Now, what a relief. What a relief to know for once how I look is not my worth. God says, I'm looking at your heart. Don't let your worth be the outward appearance. There's nothing wrong. What did J. Vernon McGee used to say? If the bar needs painting, paint it. Guys, we're, we're no different. If we need to go for a walk, we probably better go for a walk. It's nothing like that. It's about modesty. It's about the condition of the heart. It's about a changing a, a worldview of your appearance being who you are versus your character. Don't dress like the prostitutes. Don't dress like the girls that have nothing else to offer but their appearance, but their bodies. Dress in such a way that makes you comfortable where you can relax, where you can be who you are and accepted as the woman that God created you to be in the heart that you have and the mind that you have. He's changing culture. This is weird for them. In a world where women were treated like cattle, sold and bought, this is revolutionary. Godliness. That's what God's looking for. When you get dressed in the morning, put on godliness. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. That's a hard one for people to swallow today. I don't know. I 
I guess I would think it'd be a relief, but maybe it's not. As someone who's never heard that before, how do I teach that? Because it's not meant to bring people low. It's meant to relieve people of the responsibility. Guys, it's your responsibility to lead your homes. It's your responsibility to take on the burdens. It's your responsibility to lead the church. It's your responsibility. That's a relief for some. For others, it's a a slap in the face. It's not meant to be. But men have not done what they're called to do, are more than willing to let the women do it too, and to do as little as possible. And the women, hey, it's got to get done. I'm here to do it. Not afraid of a little sweat equity. Not, not, not afraid of a little elbow grease. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and get it done, since you won't. But you aren't supposed to, and you shouldn't have to. That's the husband's responsibility. That's the man's responsibility to lead his family spiritually, to be the most spiritual person in the house. That's ours. And when we don't do that, that is a void. That is an absence that will be filled, needs to be filled. What about single parent households? Obviously. Obviously, mothers, if you're alone, you got to do it. And I'm sorry that you have to. You shouldn't have to but you're fully capable and you have to do it. You've got to be the spiritual leader of your little home because whoever that man was didn't do what he was supposed to do. Didn't protect you. Didn't watch out for you. Didn't care for you. Isn't covering you. Isn't the spiritual leader. It's hard. And unfortunately you bear the burden and the brunt of that man's sin. Saved through childbearing. No, you don't just get a kid and get them to heaven. That's not what he means by that. From the very beginning in Genesis, he said, Eve, you're going to have a, a, an offspring, a seed that's going to come from you, who's going to crush Satan's head. He's going to bruise Satan. Satan's going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush Satan's head, and it's through that. All life comes through women. Every single one of us came from a woman. Beautiful, wonderful. Now, he doesn't just say childbearing, just so we understand this. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I I do want to clarify. If they continue in faith, you got to be a believer in Jesus to be saved, regardless of whether you're a woman or a man. That's just a must. Believing in Christ, faith. Continuing in love, holiness, and self-control. Those are the burdens God places upon you. Continue in your faith. Continue in love. Continue in holiness. Fight off bitterness. Fight off hate. Fight off these things that Satan will throw into your path and try to destroy your mind and your heart. Fight those things. Continue in the things God's called you to continue in. And self-control. Control yourself. That isn't exclusive to women. That's later on taught to men as well, obviously. But in this location, at this time in Scripture, he's specifically speaking to you as women. Learn to control yourself. God will give you that. That's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. 
That's a mark of a believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit is self-control. That's for every believer. Now, chapter 3, since he spoke of these things, he moves into leadership in the church. Here's what I want you to set up, Timothy. Here's what we're looking for. When you set up leaders in the church before you go, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, an overseal elder, it's the same word, pastor. He desires a good work. It's a good thing to want that. And here are the qualifications for that position. He must be blameless. In other words, there may be an accusation, but it can't be proven. You can't do anything about accusations. But if it's a proven accusation, then you're disqualified. But I I really want that. It's for somebody else. That's just the way it is. A lot of these things are, oh boy, I'm, I'm really close. Well, you didn't fulfill the qualifications. There's other things for you to do in the church. There's other ministries to do. This ministry, here's why. People need spiritual leadership. They need to see someone doing what the scriptures say, watching it act in their life and seeing the, the picture of what it's supposed to look like. They need something. They need a model. It's very important. Someone who can model the word of God so that people can see, not only hear it spoken, read it, but they can see it in action and see that it's functioning. It's a testimony. The bishop, the leader, the elder has to have that. He needs to be the husband of one wife. Now, Paul, we don't know. He didn't have a wife. I mean, he did at one point because he was a part of the Sanhedrin. So either he was divorced by her when he came to faith or he's a widower. We don't know which. Either way. So some say, does that mean he has to have at least one wife so single guys can't be pastors? I don't think so because Paul was a leader and he didn't have a wife at the time. I think it means because of the culture, you can only have one wife, not five, you know. Polygamy is not okay. Yes, there's a lot of it in Scripture, but never does God say, that's a good idea. Just have a bunch of wives. It's the first thing he told Solomon. It's the first thing he told David, and both those guys didn't listen to God. So you need to have one wife. If you have a wife, have one. Don't have several. Temperate. He's been an even man, an even person. And even walk with the Lord. Not someone who's up and down and up and down. Consistency is so important in leadership. Consistency. Sober-minded. They can think clearly. They can see through. They're not swayed by... uh, There are some people that can be a first responder in an emergency situation, and then there are some people who can't. There are some people that can see the tragedy, the screaming, the blood, and all the things that are associated with being a first responder and can bypass all of that, go right to the task, treat the wound, treat for shock. You know, they can go through all those things and and they'll deal with it later. But in the moment, they can do that. That's what he's talking about. Sober-minded. Someone who isn't moved and tossed emotionally by things. You need to be sober-minded. Of good behavior, you need to carry yourself well. Hospitable. 
You're willing to people, you know, willing to take care of people, to have people over, to to consider their needs, to 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 meet their needs if you can. You can't meet everybody's needs, but to be hospitable, able to teach. You need to be able to teach the word of God. And you need to be teachable, I'd say, but you need to be able to teach the word of God. A good teacher. Not given to wine. They don't search it out. They don't look for it. They don't seek it out, desire it. They're not addicted to it. They don't need it to calm down in the evening. They don't need to self-medicate. Not violent. Boy, you know. <laughs> not beating people up when they come in the door at church. That's, that's a good thing. I mean, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. I, I, we've never seen anything like that. I don't think I've ever seen anybody with a, you know. I think they used to have elders' chairs up at the front of the church, and the guys would have sticks. And like, if you fell asleep in church, they'd come whack and wake you up. I mean, can you imagine? We're going to start that, I think. <laughs> I, I count that in the, in the violent category, personally. Welcome to Calvary. Whack, you know. Gee whiz. Not violent. Not greedy for money. Can't be a way to gain. It, that's not what ministry's for. It's not meant to get ahead financially. You don't fleece the sheep. That's what was the problem with the Old Testament. In fact, Jeremiah says it several times, that I'm going to give you shepherds that aren't going to flee when they see wolves because you're not worth it as sheep to risk their lives. I'm going to give you shepherds who are for you, who will take care of you, not greedy for money. That will skew a person's thought. Well, I know that Bob is... He's had a couple wives now, and he doesn't seem to get a handle on it, and he keeps going out and doing this, that, and the other thing. But I don't want to call him out on it. He's a really good tither, you know, kind of thing. He gives a lot of money to the church. We're going to let that go. He's an, he, he, yeah, you get it. He bought the wing, you know, or whatever, of the church. His name's on there. Nope. Not greedy for money, but gentle, just like me. I hear it. I'm reading it too. Gentle. Not quarrelsome. Doesn't just like to fight for fight's sake, just to argue to argue. Not covetous. Well, I wish I had what you had. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? If you can't figure that out, if you don't have a good testimony, well, it's not my fault. My kids were just, I know, I know, but we're looking for the picture. We're looking for the picture. We're looking for people to look at. They need to see what it looks like. Not a novice, not a new guy. Got to have some miles on him. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Pride brought the devil down. He thought he could be like the most high. That is the, 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 the struggle with a new guy. Oh boy, and I was that guy, by the way. I was ready to be a pastor. You should, the letter I wrote home to my parents after I got saved told them, I think I'm going to be a pastor. And in that letter must have had 12 to 15 words I could not read to my children. Four-letter words in that letter. 
blankety blank and blank praise god how does that even go together you know i have that letter i kept that that's humbling i read that i'm like you got about cringeworthy she whiz i'll bring it sometime for you guys to read it's it's honest that's where i came from it's where i started but if they had made me a pastor then can you imagine Yikes. Prideful. Watch out for it. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, those who are unbelievers. Because remember, that is the goal. To not be a cult, to not be a closed group, but someone who can reach out. Someone who's carrying their life well, honest, known for it. You know, Now that irritates some people, but for other people, okay, he's walking the walk, you know. Maybe I'll listen to what he has to say about Jesus. That's important. A good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Now, qualifications of a deacon. Overseers generally take care of the spiritual needs of the church. Deacons will take care of the physical needs of the church. But there's not much difference in qualification. Likewise, in other words, everything you just read still applies. Likewise. Deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Watch them work for a while. Watch them serve consistently. You know, there's a lot of people say, I want to serve the Lord. Well, let's see if you can do it for two months in a row. First of all, we have a limit for qualifications for teaching in the Sunday school ministry here. I'm glad you're here. Glad you want to serve. You need to be here a year before we let you back there with the kids. We need to know who you are. We need to know what you believe. We need to know your character, your conduct, your faithfulness, because that is not an easy job back there. And we demand a lot. We expect a lot. To be here on time, to have a lesson ready. There's no excuses. Who don't feel good? Well, take a Tums and get here. You know, let's go. We got kids waiting. Sheep need to be taken care of. Lambs are hungry for the word of God. You know. Um, Do they hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience? Do they, do they grasp it? Do they understand the, the faith at all? Some people, you know, you work out your own salvation. It takes some time to figure out your doctrine, to understand what you believe and, and know and stand upon in God's Word. Um, we don't want something taught here and something different taught back there. It's, we want a, a unified message here, you know. That's fine if you don't believe what we believe. That's fine. There's another church down the street that probably believes what you believe, but then, then go teach Sunday school there. But we don't want that, 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 disc, that discontinuity, I think, is the right word. That's the word I'm looking for, if that's the word. I, don't know. I made it up. It's a good word. We want continuity in the teaching. We want the kids to go from first grade all the way into this room and hear the same teaching to understand that the Word of God just reveals itself, just explains itself, interprets itself, and should be the same. Holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. We want to see them serve first so they're found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers. The word slanderers is actually a single word. It means devil, not an accuser of the brethren. 
You may as a man fulfill all of these responsibilities, but if your wife doesn't, then you're disqualified. Well, that's pretty steep. Well, it just means you need to focus on other things. There's other priorities right now. She needs your attention. She needs your love. She needs your focus. I don't think it should be distra- you should be distracted with ministry right now. It's okay. I remember the guy that brought me into Calvary. Um, gosh, Roger Wing was his name. He was Chuck's guy that helped the Calvary chapels all over the world get affiliated. You had to fill out book reports, and they had to know who you are, and you had to read through the, listen to the C2000 series, C3000 series, the in-depth. You had to write reports on all those things. I mean, it was a big deal. Now it's like, you want to be a Calvary? Sure. <laughs> it's a little different now. Roger Wing was in charge of all of that. I remember standing in line waiting to talk to him at a pastor's conference because I hadn't got my letter of approval yet. And I was waiting. Now I'm moving closer. And the guy in front of me says, hi, I'm Bob. And I'm this, that. And he just looked at me and goes, I don't know who you are. And moved him off. I'm like, oh, this is going to go bad. <laughs> he doesn't know who I am either. I didn't. I got to do it. I said, hey, uh, Pastor Roger, I, I'm here to, you know, I'm J.D. Dirks. I'm in, I'm in uh, I think at the time I said Rockport or whatever, or Tarkio. And, uh, and I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. I remember you. So what's your deal about this marriage thing? I said, you do know me. One of my re- book reports that I had to write. I said, well, and then I had to explain myself. He goes, okay, okay, I was just making sure. I was just making sure. I was scared to death of this guy. Well, he sends out an email, maybe three months later after I got my letter. He goes, I'm stepping down for a while. My family needs attention. Can you imagine? You know how hard that would be to be the number two guy in a movement of 12,000 churches worldwide to say, I got to set this down for a while. My family needs my attention right now. And he's going through some things with his kids. So much respect for that. That's a big deal. And he came back. But he took three years off to just focus on his teenage kids. Good for you. Because ministry will suck the life right out of you and suck that time away from those kids. And he knew it's not worth it to lose my kids in the process of this. What kind of example is that? So he took the time to do that. You see, fulfilling scripture. I mean, we're talking about deacons, but he took it personally. He says, no, I can't be doing this. It's like a lie. My kids need my attention. Good for you. So, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, likewise. So, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Wonderful. Some scriptures, some cross-references, and then we'll close here. I know we're getting close. I went a little long on that. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you or commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? That's what he means by letting him learn. Had several people come through here. Send me out. I want to go out and start a church. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. Let's start here first. You know, let's see you do some things here first. You know, and some, well, didn't fulfill the obligations. It was hard. It's happened a couple times. 
how come you don't? And how come you didn't? That's between me and them. They can tell you the story if they want to, but I'm going to keep it confidential because I think that's important. You weren't trusted or you were trusted with things and you didn't follow through. I don't think that I can do that. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, when the first seven deacons were chosen. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We need someone to take care of these physical needs. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had laid, when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Two of those guys, Stephen, first martyr of the faith, he's the one who was stoned at the feet of Paul the apostle, or Saul at the time, and Philip, he was the one that led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ and baptized him. It was a part of a great revival. You're not, always, you're not always serving tables, but you were faithful serving the tables. And God elevated you. So, neat to see. We'll finish up here. These things I write to you back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. These things I write to you, th- uh, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So I'm writing to you these things so that you know what the church is supposed to look like. This is scripture. This is God's word. This is anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is what it needs to be. If it's not, it's an error. We're outside of the will of God. We're outside of the word of God. What is he talking about? The mystery of the faith. I wanted to share a little bit about that. It's amazing. When God sets you free, you're free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 36. When he comes into your life. Now, I know the questions I'll get afterwards is how come some sins God immediately takes from me and I have no desire for those things. Other things I feel like I've been struggling with for years and years and years. I don't know. I don't know why some of those things just go. I don't know how one heroin addict can drop the needle and never pick it up again and the other one cannot seem to make a a break from it. I don't know why that is. But I do know it's a miracle. I do know it's a wonder. When I got saved, the desire for alcohol is immediately taken from me. And I have stories to tell of what it was like before I was saved. Immediately taken away from me. No more desire, no more need, no no more ache, no more anything. I, I was that and now I'm not. Other things in my life, boy, I work at. And that's between me and the Lord. You don't get to ask. Therefore, the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, he is talking to believers who are not walking in the freedom that they have. They're still doing the sin, but Paul is reminding them, you've been set free from that, now it's a choice. Now you're choosing to do it. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, um, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Why are you walking like you used to when you shouldn't walk that way anymore? He's calling them out. Stop. You've been delivered from those things. You've been set free. Those kind of people that are unrepentant aren't going to get into heaven. You're a believer and you're doing these things. You're, you wear the mark of an unbeliever. That's inappropriate for a child of God. Stop it. Quit. And we're called to that. Now many, well, I, I can't. Okay. I, the word of God doesn't work for you then, I guess. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to talk to you about that. I, I know that some people are delivered from sins that I'm not delivered from, but I do not count them as something that's just a part of my character and who God made me to be. That's something that I have accepted as sin and choices on my part that I need to repent from. It's important. How in the world can I do battle? How in the world can I ever have victory if I just say, this is a battle that I cannot win because this is who I am? You'll always be that then. Because although some things were immediately taken away, some things took a few years, but they're gone. Other things took a few more years. I'm being conformed into the image of Jesus. I'm not just, you know, blink, you know. That was a genie move. I don't know if that went off well or not. That's not how it works. It takes time. It takes consistency. It takes battle. The fiery darts of the devil. I mean, it's constant war. Make war. Paul says, make war. Make war with these sins. Make war with them. Starve them to death. Feed the spirit. Starve the flesh. Make war, you know. Be encouraged in that. You may still be struggling in these areas. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're struggling. Fight. Be forgiven, have grace, have mercy. Understand you're saved because of the righteousness of Christ, not because of your performance today, but fight. Continue. And God will give you victory. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time tonight. Tough teaching, great chapters though. Who wants to waste our time with fluff? We can get fluff tonight. We got steak. Thank you for that, God. Help us to chew on it, to digest it, to let it do what it needs to do to change us from the inside out. Your word works. It always accomplishes what it was set out to do. It never, ever returns void. We're so thankful for that tonight. So whether we got stung, convicted, encouraged, felt some relief, we thank you for all of it, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.